The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokea Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading will be found in Romans chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 21 through verse 26. Romans 3, 21 through 26. Bible says in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. This morning to put on our thinking caps. Have you ever heard that phrase? Put on your thinking cap. So this morning, I know that sometimes we sit in church and we hope that the preacher tells a funny story. And we can follow along with that. But this morning, I'm going to ask you, put on your thinking cap, have a pen, piece of paper, follow along. We're going to have a logical problem that will be addressed in today's passage. And so I need you to follow along this morning, thinking. Don't just sit passive and receive. I want you to think. How is this possible? There's going to be a problem Paul addresses the problem, and I think that perhaps when we finish today, it will help you see the gospel in a completely different light than what we normally see. Here's the problem. God cannot simply forgive sin and still be perfectly just. Here's the problem. God cannot simply forgive sin and still be perfectly just. Let me illustrate this. Let's say, for example, someone came into your workplace and they were angry. And let's say, for the sake of this illustration, let's say that someone murdered a whole bunch of your co-workers. That would be a tragedy. A very terrible thing. Let's say that the whole thing got caught on CCTV. Everything is there, and when they start looking at the CCTV, you realize that the person that came in is one of your co-workers. You know this person. Let's say you know them, and you know where they live, and you call the police in, the police come in, the police do a quick investigation. They say, yes, it's this person, and he lives at this address, and they go down and pick him up. And let's say this case is going to be open and shut. Guilty. It's easy. Terrible thing. Tragic. But let's say, let's say the police go down, pick him up at his house. Bring him down for questioning. 
They sit down for questioning. And let's say the police say, did you do this? And he goes, yes. You know, honestly, lapse of judgment. That was really a stupid thing for me to do. I'm really sorry. Officers, I'm really sorry that I did that. Please forgive me. Now, let's say, for the sake of the illustration, let's say the police officers will say, well, he did it, but he said he was sorry. So we're going to let him go. You help me. Is that just? No. Okay, okay, okay. Let's, let's back up one step. Let's say the police, they look at all of the evidence, and before he can go to a trial, they're going to have to send him for holding, and off he goes to Bomana, right? And so let's say he's at Bomana, and he is a model inmate. Let's say he has confessed, I've done wrong, I'm now in Bomana, maybe Pastor Matt comes and preaches a gospel message, and he gets saved... And let's say that he is just a model. I mean, plays the guitar for all of the Christian services that they get together. I mean, this guy is just living right. And let's say the warden sees his behavior over a couple of weeks, and maybe, you know how the court case is, over a couple of months, and and calls him into the office and he says, you know what, I've watched. Your actions are totally changed. You are a different person. You confessed, you've said you're sorry, and now you've turned over a new leaf and you're living a whole new life. Tell you what, we're going to let you go free. Walks him to the gate, calls for a truck, puts the guy on the truck and sends him home. Same question. Is that just? No. All right, let's go another step. Let's say he now has confessed to the police, he has lived as a model inmate, and let's say now he comes before the judge. And the judge is listening to all of the evidence. Let's say the prosecuting attorney brings, here's the CCTV. The judge looks at the person. Are you that one in the video? Yes, sir, I am. And let's say that he puts out the, here's the murder weapon. Did you use that murder weapon? Yes, sir, I did. Do you have anything to say for yourself? Now, could you imagine? Here is the defendant on the stand, and here he, here's what he has to say for himself. I am guilty, sir. I am sorry for what I did. I have lived as a model inmate, and I promise that I will spend the rest of my days with rehabilitation programs for people that are having trouble in the workplace, and I want to help other people out. Let's say the judge listens to that, and he says, you know what, you've confessed, and you have turned your life over, and you've now committed your life to helping others. I'll tell you what, we're going to let you go free. Same question. Is that just? No. There has to be a penalty for the offense. That's justice. Now here's our problem. God, as the judge, the perfect judge of the universe, cannot simply forgive you for your sin and still be perfectly just. He cannot just say, free pass, you're good to go. That's not just. And this is our problem as we come to today's passage. I want God to forgive me of my sin. But He can't just simply forgive me and still be perfectly just. You see, if He's going to be God, a holy God, He must be perfectly just. There must be a penalty for your sin, for your offenses. And God, as the judge, did not make you pay for your sin. And that certainly seems 
unjust. It's as if we could point a finger at God and say, Him forgiving of sin is unjust. Do you see now why I said I want you to put your thinking cap on? Because God is God. He's perfect in all of His ways. And He is perfectly just. But for Him to simply forgive is not just. It's gracious. Oh, He gives us what we do not deserve. Eternal life. Forever to be with Him in His presence. He's merciful. He does not give us what we do deserve. Namely, separation from Him forever in hell. And yet, for Him to simply forgive is not just. It seems as though mercy and grace is the opposite of just. It certainly seems that way. So in order for God to be perfectly God, He must be perfectly just, and we need to settle that issue, and we will settle it in today's passage. Let me read again, chapter 3, verse 21 down to verse 26. It is all one sentence. We saw the first half of that sentence last week from verse 21 to verse 25a, and then today we will see the second half of it, verse 25b and verse 26. Let me read the passage. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. And if I can take just a moment and review last week, the first half of that sentence, a number of things we saw, verse 21, the righteousness of God is manifested. It's put out there for all to see. It's made clear. I used the poor illustration last week of a dish of food that is being uncovered. And the reason I say that that is a poor illustration is because you can never plumb the depths of the righteousness of God. You can plumb the depths of a plate of food. You can find the bottom of it. But you'll never get to the bottom of the righteousness of God. And I hope that in today's message you'll see, oh, how unfathomable is the righteousness of God. And His glory will be shown. His righteousness is revealed. We have a glimpse of that. And while we're having a glimpse of that, also have a glimpse of 64 verses from Romans 1, verse 18 to 3, verse 20, of our exceeding sinfulness. Our depth of our sinfulness as we look at the righteousness of God is manifested. We take that top off of it. We'll never attain to His righteousness. And it is manifested, as he says in verse 21, without the law. So the law does not make Him more glorious. All it does is it shows us how sinful we are. It's made manifest without the law. It is witnessed by the law and the prophets. The Old Testament pointed to the righteousness of God. made it very clear. And it was revealed 
to us. We saw that in Romans 1.17. Then also, it is given to those, available to those who believe. You can see that in verse 22. The righteousness of God, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe. You'll never attain to it. You'll never live up to the righteousness of God. I'll never do enough good things so that I can gain the righteousness of God. Oh no, it is manifested and it's given to those who just believe. Oh, I trust Jesus for His work on the cross and God declares me as righteous. Oh, this is a wonderful statement. This is our justification. And then we come into verse 23. Again, a bit of review we saw last week in verse 23 that every single one of us is a sinner. One of the most famous memory verses for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've fallen short, every single one of us, falls short of the glory of God. And I don't know if you've taken the time to think about, meditate on the glory of God. I don't know if you've ever tried to define the glory of God. You can define a bird. Somebody said define a bird. If they told you define a bird, you would say, well, he's got a beak and feathers, and two wings, two legs. Sometimes they hop on their feet. And sometimes they fly. You can define a bird. Define a book. Oh, it's got a cover, pages, and writing. You can define a belt. But you try to define glory. That is too majestic for you to describe. The majesty, the unfathomable glory of God, how will I ever reach the edges of it? I can't. The glory of God. So the best thing I can do is try to describe it based on what the Bible says about it. And so the first place my mind goes to when I talk about the glory of God, the first place my mind goes to is Isaiah chapter 6. You remember Isaiah? He said in the year that King Uzziah died, you remember that passage? This is Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And His train filled the temple. That train, that train, that's His majestic robes. Can you just imagine? Like you can just see a king on his throne and he has his majestic robe and maybe it covers all the way to the first step. Or maybe he's really important and it goes to the second or third step. But no, not God. His train filled the temple. And then he had seraphim who were then flying above him. You can see it in verse 2. Above the throne stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. By the way... You and I would be terrified out of our minds if we ever came across a seraphim. And here are seraphim who are singing the praises to God. Watch what they do. With, they had six wings. With two, they covered their face. And with twain, they covered their feet. And with twain, they did fly. That's why I mean that terrify you. Flying creature that can talk, covers his face and covers his feet. He had extra wings. And then the things that they say, verse 3, and one cries to another and says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now think of this for just a moment. These terrifying beings are speaking one to another. Now this is... I'm going to make a point here. It's one thing when you stand before a king and you tell him, You're amazing. It's a totally different thing when you stand before the king and you say to somebody else, He's amazing. 
Do you see the difference there? This one is me giving you adoration. The other one is I'm giving him adoration in the third person. I don't even deserve to look at him. Let me tell you how great he is. And you too, you can talk of his greatness. But my goodness, be careful. We won't look upon him. For he is holy, holy, holy. And then he says, the whole earth is full of his glory. So let me do this. I'm going to draw a straight line from holy to glory. So holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. So if you want to define glory, attach it straight to His holiness. You and I can never come to that. We fall short of it. All of us are sinners before a holy God. And we fall short. We come up short of the glory of God. I can never be in His presence. I can never make it there. He's too holy. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And there is no speech, no language where that voice is not heard. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. So if you want a glimpse of what the glory of God might just look like, just have a look at the sky with the billowing clouds and the deep blue colors and the night with the galaxies and all of the stars in the septillions of galaxies of all of the stars that are out there and day unto day the moon moving with its with its different phases affecting the tides and the way that the fish move about and all oh, the Firmament shows His handiwork. And then every evening, as you and I get to enjoy some of the most beautiful sunsets in the whole world, and sunsets, and every time it sets, it paints a different picture that artists strive to just mimic the colors that are on the canvas that night after night, the heavens declare the glory of God. You try your best to define that one. You can't touch it. His glory is so magnificent and you and I will never attain to it. And yet, men close their eyes to the glory of God. Intentionally. We saw it in Romans 1. Turning from the Creator and worshiping the creation. And sometimes making idols that look like four-footed beasts. And sometimes turning other people into the idols of their heart, or maybe it's just an idea that they want to worship, but they walk away from the Creator. In 464 verses, we've seen how exceedingly sinful we are, and that the fact that when we walk away from God, He turns us over to our sin. Oh, we are exceedingly sinful, and our sin is primarily against a holy, glorious God. Your sin, friend, please let this sink in. Your sin is against God. Joseph knew that. Do you remember Joseph's story? His dad loved him more than the other brothers. You remember that? Dad made him a special coat. Then the old, older brothers caught him in the field one day, ripped that coat off of him, and sold him into slavery. Then they took that coat and dipped it in blood to make it look like perhaps some wild animal had killed Joseph, and they took that coat back to Dad. You know what they did when, they, when that happened? They sealed Joseph's fate. Dad's never going to go looking for him now. Joseph has no hope. And off he goes into slavery. And if I can pause right there, if anybody had a right to sin, that sounds like such a stupid idea. But if anybody ever had a right to sin, Joseph did. 
How many times I hear from young people statements like, Pastor, I wanted to do right, but other people influenced me, and they pulled me into sin. Hey, listen, every one of us will give account of himself to God. Joseph had every right, if you want to use that logic, Joseph had every right to sin. Everyone is doing wrong against him. And top it off, he's in a land where nobody knows him. And he can do whatever he wants. Joseph knew that sin was against a holy God, and here he was set over Potiphar's house. He's still a slave, but he was moved into a managerial position. And here he is looking after Potiphar's house. He had every ability to swindle off and skim off profits for himself, and yet he chose to live a life of integrity. And then on top of it, Potiphar's wife comes along and says, hey, here's an opportunity for you to have an affair. And he pushes back against it, and I want you to hear the words that he used when he spoke to her. This is Genesis 39 and verse 9. Here's what Joseph Joseph said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, you have to understand that sin is primarily against God. His holiness. The beauty of His holiness gives depth to the glory of God. And here, Joseph says, if I sin... I'm going to be sinning against God. And it's not him saying, oh, well, what about Potiphar? Potiphar's been really good to me. And I think that this just wouldn't be right to do it behind his back. And he didn't say, I'm I'm thinking of you, Potiphar's wife. I'm thinking about you and how you'll regret this one day. No, he's saying, I don't want to sin against God. Because sin is primarily against God. The very fact that you are a sinner flies in the face of the glory of God and we fall short, far short of His glory. King David made the same statement. David and his sin with Bathsheba. Nathan came before him. We talked about that sin just a few weeks ago. When Nathan came before David, Nathan's words were, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? 2 Samuel chapter 12. Wherefore, why have you The word despised the commandment of the Lord. David could have had every thought to this line. He could have said, but Lord, I didn't even think about you. I fell in lust for Bathsheba. Then I wanted to cover up my sins, so that's why I killed Uriah. I was never thinking about you, Lord. And oh, how often that's the way you and I act. I fall in sin and I didn't mean this to be against God. Your sin is primarily against God. And I could hear God, perhaps God could give this rebuttal against David. This is why he would say, you've despised my commandment. God could have reminded David things like, I am the sovereign creator of the universe and I'm the one who set you up as king and I'm the one who instituted marriage, and I'm the one who created Bathsheba and put her together with Uriah so that two would be made one flesh. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. I'm the one who gave life to Uriah, and I'm the one who sustains your life, David, and I'm the one who makes the sun to rise on your wicked head, and I'm the one that makes the rain to fall upon your garden. I'm the one who keeps you breathing, and the very fact that you did not think of me means that you despised me. You see, our sin is an affront before a holy God. His glory is so magnificent. And you and I, every time we sin, 
we're sinning against God. And our sin is against a holy God. We fall short of Him. So can we pause this morning and think of the depths of our sin and the height of His glory? Let it sink in. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's not just a memory verse. It's sinfulness. And for Him, can I say it this way? For Him to just pass over it and just forgive it diminishes His own holiness. He can't do that. He cannot just simply forgive because that will make Him to be less of God. There's a key word though in verses 24 and verse 25 that will settle this issue. So let's read verses 24 and 25. Verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Being justified, being declared righteous freely. I didn't do anything to earn that. That came through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a, key word here, propitiation. God put Jesus to be the propitiation for us. This is the key word, and this is how God can forgive sins and still be perfectly just. It's because He put Jesus as our propitiation. Now let me take just a moment and remind you what propitiation means. Last week we defined it. A propitiation is a gift that turns away wrath. A gift that turns away wrath. So here's God's wrath on you and me, and yet God gave Jesus to take that wrath and turn away His wrath from us. So here's God. Wrath upon me, He sticks Jesus in there. By the way, nobody else could do that. Nobody else could take the place of your sinfulness, only Jesus. So we remember 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God takes Jesus, sticks Him in the way, and God gives a gift to Himself, namely, Himself in the flesh. That ought to blow your mind. I hope you've got your thinking cap on this morning. God came in the flesh and gave a gift to Himself so that He could turn away His own wrath and let us be forgiven. And this allows Him to be just. Now there's two halves in this sentence. Two halves in this sentence. Verse 21 to verse 25a was the first half. Verse 25 and 26 is the second half. And that's how we've split it for last week's sermon and this week's sermon. So let me point out verse 21 to verse 25, the first half. Here's, here's what he's saying. If I were to sum it up. We are sinners and we are made righteous by Christ's work on the cross. That's the first half of this sentence. We are sinners. We've seen that. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners. And yet, we are declared righteous. We are made righteous by Christ's work on the cross. That's the first half. Now let me summarize the second half and then we'll walk through it. I'll show it to you in the Scriptures. The second half of verse 25 down to verse 26 is God is holy. It's the opposite of us being sinners. God is holy and He, catch this, He declares His righteousness through Christ's work on the cross. So we have two halves of this sentence. The first half, we saw it last week. We're sinners, but we get to be declared righteous by Christ's work on the cross. Today, God is holy, and He is declared, not we're declared, He is declared holy by Christ's work on the cross. 
Let me walk through this 25 and 26 and let you see it. Verse 25. By the way, this is the second half is actually the primary reason that Christ went to the cross. Let me read verse 25. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Jesus. All right? That's the whom. So God put Jesus as a propitiation for us to receive through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness that He might be just in the justifier of Him that believeth in Jesus. Now last week I mentioned there's two declares. Two times He makes the statement to declare. Again, verse 26, to declare. I'll unfold those in just a moment. But let me start with the primary reason Jesus went to the cross. Most of the time, if you were to ask a believer, why did Jesus die on the cross? Most of the time, we would say, for our sins. For our sins. And yet, this passage tells us there is one reason that is more primary than for our sins. And that reason is to declare God's righteousness. Now, the natural mind does not wrap his mind around that because the natural mind does not receive the things of the Lord. So we don't naturally understand that you have to be a believer and meditate on the Word of God before you realize that God cannot just simply forgive and still be perfectly just. So Jesus goes to the cross primarily to make God's righteousness be declared secondarily so that He can forgive the sins of man. In other words... You don't get forgiveness of sins without the cross of Christ. It doesn't happen. It won't work. I, I brought the Pigeon Bible. I'm going to read this from the Pigeon Bible. And I want to say, the Pigeon Bible smacks it right on. This is perfect translation. So if you're, suppose, talk Pigeon, and number one, talk to you. By you kiss him. All got a sermon inside of two verses. All right, hold on. Romans 3, 25, not 26. God even marking Jesus belong come up payable sin now giving belly easy to God. He go long get a belief all get a belief through the blue belong in. God he stop easy long blood time. Now me mark him Jesus belong show him place clear straight blood pass in blood God he take away all sin blood before. Line twenty six me talk or same. Lord this blood time God he like show him place clear straight blood pass in blood him. By God he can he stop straight blood. Now, Emmy can make him man, he believe long Jesus, he come up straight, blah, long I belong him. God put Christ on the cross to declare God's own righteousness in order to forgive our sins. I say it again. Declaring the righteousness of God is the primary reason that Jesus went to the cross. The secondary reason is so that He could take our sins. But if He's not declaring the righteousness of God, we don't get forgiveness of sins. God has to remain perfectly holy. And so here He is declaring the righteousness of God. So let me show it to you. Verse 25, second half. God put Jesus as a propitiation. Here's the word. To declare His righteousness. That's the simplest way to see it. God put Jesus on the cross to turn away His wrath to declare His righteousness. And He's going to say it twice. You can see it summed up again in verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness. 
So he says it twice. God's declaring His own righteousness. Jesus goes to the cross so that God can be holy. So His glory never takes a dent. You don't knock down His glory just a little bit so that you can get salvation. No, His glory stays most glorious. And He does that by sending Jesus to the cross as a propitiation. So let's see the first to declare. Verse 25. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Now, let's go chronologically think about timeline. If you start with creation, Adam in the garden, come all the way to Jesus on the cross, and then you and I on this side. From the best I can tell, looking through Scripture, you're looking at about 4,000 years from creation to Christ. And another 2,000 years from Christ until us. And so here we have for the remission of sins that are past. That's what he just said. All of those Old Testament sins through the forbearance of God. So God was long-suffering in looking over the sins of all of those Old Testament people coming all the way to the cross. You see, God cannot still be righteous and turn a blind eye and give forgiveness if there's not justice. And so here Jesus comes and goes to the cross and God goes, this propitiation will take care of the sins that are past. Let me read it again, verse 25. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. God waited and allowed those things to go on. Adam deserved the wages of sin and he deserved it to be done and dealt with swiftly. And he deserved to have it done to the exact degree of the offense. Let me explain what I mean when I say to the exact degree of the offense. Simple illustration. When a child cheats on their spelling test, we don't give them the death penalty. And all of the children said, praise the Lord. (laughs) At the same time, if you have a serial murderer, we don't make them stand in the corner for five minutes. Or five days. Or five months. That's not just penalty. And so, for justice to be meted out, it must be done to the exact degree of the offense. I'll I'll give another illustration. This last week, I'm coming down Waigani, and I'm coming up to the traffic lights at uh, Holiday Inn, that corner. You guys know what I'm talking about. As I'm coming up, I look in the mirror, and I saw, sorry if you're a part of them, one bell stop. I'll defend you in a minute. NCD Reserve Police came by. You guys know what I'm talking about. Little ute, yellow writing on the side. Here they come. And as they came past me, I knew something's about to happen. There's probably 8 to 12 reservists in the back of this ute. They come past me, and some of them are hanging off the side. One is standing in the back with one foot in, one foot out, and he's hanging on, and I know it's about to go down. And he comes past me, and then all of a sudden the truck is in the far right lane. I'm in the middle lane. He does the full cut all the way across to the mobile station. And he does it very quickly. And before the truck comes to a full stop, all 
8 to 12 reservists jump off. And the first one that makes it to the sidewalk kicked the roadside stand. And I'm talking everything flew. He kicked that stand and it was snacks, biscuits, and beetle nut, and coins, and everything was flying everywhere. The second one right behind him, I watched it with my own eyes, second one behind him punched somebody in the face. And I watch as they stomp on everything that's there, going to disperse it. Now, justice, follow me, justice needs to be meted out to the full extent of the offense. Well, in that moment, we would say, that's police brutality. In that moment. Because that's a mama who is trying to make ends meet for her family, perhaps pay school bills. I don't know what she's raising her money for, but this lady is not picking pockets. And she's not causing a traffic jam like the taxi cabs and the PMV drivers that that cop truck just had to go around. You follow me? It was not justice. However, I told you if you're one of them, I'll play your side. However, for them to turn a blind eye is also not justice. For them to just simply say, well, yeah, she's not supposed to do that, and I know we've gazetted it, and we've given her warnings, and we're just going to turn a blind eye. That's also not justice. And so this is what I mean by justice should be meted out to the exact extent of the offense. So again, we don't take a student who just cheated on their spelling test and send them to Bola. Death sentence for you. No, that doesn't happen. There has to be the degree of the offense receives the degree of punishment. They go together. Oh, and by the way, for you and I, our sin is rebellion against the high king of the universe, and so our payment is death. For the wages, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And so here our punishment should be death. And yet, God did not give that punishment immediately, swiftly, all throughout the Old Testament. To declare, he says, God put Jesus on the cross as a propitiation to declare His righteousness for sins past, showing the forbearance of God. This is a problem. Adam, you can eat of all the trees. Do you remember this? Adam, you can eat of all the trees. But of the one tree you shall not eat. And if you do eat, you remember the words God used, in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And I know that he was cut off from the source of life. I know it. But you know what he deserved? Done. We would never exist if that had happened. Cain. Fast forward a few years. Cain and Abel. Cain gets ticked off because God doesn't accept his offering. And Cain kills his brother. If ever there's a payable sin, let me die. should be that one. And in this moment, what does God do to him? I'm going to put a mark on you, and you're going to live nomadic for the rest of your life. What did Cain deserve? Death in that moment. He should have been squashed like a little bug. And yet, God forbear with him. And you and I could easily say, that's not just. And yet we saw in verse 25, God put Jesus on the cross to declare His own righteousness for the sins that are past. Nebuchadnezzar, 
wicked, sinful, self-lifting, arrogant, idolatrous, genocidal dictator, God just tweaks his brain? You know what he deserved? He deserved to be buried in a nameless grave. That's what he deserved. And yet God forbear his sins. God looked over it. And we could carefully say, God, that's not just. And God goes, no, I put Jesus on the cross as a propitiation to declare my righteousness for sins that are past. So when I looked over Adam and when I looked over Cain and when I looked over Nebuchadnezzar, I was looking at Jesus. Jesus will take the, all of the sin of all mankind past 4,000 years. Now coming to verse 26, and he's going to say it again. To declare, to declare, verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him that believeth in Jesus. So verse 25 was all of those past sins. Now, to, verse 26, to declare, at this time, that's the present sins. And by the way, that's where you and I live. The present sins. And so that's from Paul and Peter and all of the believers in the time that has come between them to us and those who will come after us. His forbearance for the Old Testament now comes into the New Testament. And He does not, on the very first time you lie to your parents, does not squash you. But instead, He gives grace because of the cross. He declares His own righteousness even at the present time. And I hope that that would stir up within your mind. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 10 says, By which will we are, all, are we are sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, Jesus goes to the cross and He covers with one sacrifice all the sins from before and all of the sins of the present and yes, even all of the sins that will come behind us. Now look at the last phrase in verse 26. He's been declaring His righteousness. I'll read verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him that believeth in Jesus. Please don't jump over the word that. Little words like that are very important for understanding the argument that He's making. Today we are thinking while we're reading. That. So what did He do and why did He do it? So what He did was He put Jesus forth as a propitiation. That, you can see that in verse 25. God set Jesus forth to be a propitiation to declare His righteousness for the Old Testament, to declare His righteousness for the present. That, so there's a reason that He did it. That, He might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. God has put Jesus to be the propitiation so that primarily God will be just. So yes, we love the fact that Jesus took our sin on the cross. Why did He go to the cross? To take our sin. Oh, thank God for that. But primarily He went that God could be declared just. And justifier. He gets to be holy. God continues to be holy by putting Jesus on the cross. And now He can be also justifier and 
take our sins, declare us as righteous. If there was no propitiation, then there would be no forgiveness of sins. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember the words He prayed? Sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, and there's Jesus praying, Father, if there be any way, take this cup from Me. Let it pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will. I'm going to take this now. I will go through this, for there is no other way around it to declare the righteousness of God. So that God could be just and justifier, Christ went to the cross so that God could be just in forgiving us and justifier in forgiving us. Oh, He is a glorious God. Covered all the bases. And now, I'll close with this thought. You might remember that the punishment needs to meet the crime. In order for it to be just, the punishment needs to meet the crime. And you remember the punishment that all of us was due is death. And yet Christ, as a propitiation, went to the cross, took our place. He died in our place. Now, if I were to use an example, could you imagine if someone received the death penalty? And it's my understanding that currently we do not have it in place in our nation. But could you imagine if we did? Let's say we had one very wicked person, and there in Bomana, they go through all of their sentencing, finish all of their appeals. It's now time for them to be sentenced to death. They've been sentenced to death. Now time for them to be put to death. And can you imagine... They put that person to death, and then what if, after putting that person to death, he's now dead. Could you imagine if then the government said, not only are we going to put him to death, we're going to go to his home village, and we're going to burn all the houses in his village, and we're going to destroy the rest of his family, and we're just going to mess up any remembrance of him forever. And we would say, that's over the line. It's too much. You go to the level of the offense. When he dies, it's over. Do you follow me? Now here's what happened when Jesus took our sin on the cross. Jesus took our sin and he went to the exact level of the degree of our offense. That was just. And God meted out justice on Jesus at the cross and Jesus died And then he was buried, and you remember what happened three days later. He rose from the dead. For him to stay in the grave would not have been just, for he is God. And he rose from the grave after three days. Brothers and sisters, God can be just in Jesus going to the cross, and He shows His power by raising Him back up from the dead. Oh, what a glorious thought. And if you are a believer, you received the justification, you've been declared righteous as Christ, and now you are in Christ, raised with Jesus in Christ. The grave has no more hold over you, no more power. Death has no more power over you. And I'll give you one more. Sin has no more power over you. We'll get there. That one's coming in chapter 4. Father, thank you for being just and justifier. For being holy and glorious. We will never be able to 
define the expanses of your glory. We'll never be able to fully understand the depths of our own sinfulness. And yet, you have made yourself just by putting forth Jesus as a propitiation for our sins. You turned away your own wrath by giving yourself in the flesh to turn away your wrath. And so, Lord, we want to thank you for the gospel. Thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. The grave did not hold him. Sin has no power over him. And those of us that are in Christ Jesus now get to enjoy those same results. May your name be glorified in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you, church. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709 one thousand.